Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. Ahead of his virtual open day this Thursday, the 1st of October, dairy farmer Shane Fitzgerald and researcher Aoife Leader quantified the level of biodiversity on his farm and explain how this is being achieved in conjunction with high technical performance from his dairy herd. And first, Aoife explains the importance of biodiversity on farms. To start off, I suppose, biodiversity, it defines our agricultural landscape and it plays a really important role in the sustainability of our farms. And every farm in Ireland would be a valuable habitat for biodiversity with different features that sustain the native flora, fauna and the habitats that they all call home. So even though agriculture does place uh, pressure on biodiversity, there is an opportunity here for farmers to improve the sustainability of their enterprises through the improvement of biodiversity management with some simple and effective practice changes. So it's important that our farmers are aware of the biodiversity that exists on their farms firstly and then that and then of the practices and the changes that they can make in an effort to maintain and enhance these features. So um, as a student on the Masters in Innovation and Support Programme I'm working with the 11 farmers in the Glombia Tagus Open Source Future Farm Monitor Farm Group on a study that aims to identify methods that are effective in communicating biodiversity management practices. So I suppose the approach we took with this study was one that involves the farmers in all stages and they are active in making informed decisions throughout the course of the study. Um, then this study did kick off, I suppose, around last March when we carried out a baseline assessment of the biodiversity features and the biodiversity practices that were on each farm at the time. So to do this, I mapped each of the farms in terms of the biodiversity features that were present. And we also used the Tagus Biodiversity Management Practices Index Survey to establish the current practices on each of the farms. And so Catherine Keenan was on the podcast a few weeks ago describing the Tagus BMPI, um, which she developed, and that's a tool that um, is used to establish the practices of the around linear features on dairy farms. And those would be the hedgerows, the watercourses, field margins, and also the farm landscape. So from that baseline assessment, we got three really important figures, and those were or you could call them KPIs, I suppose. Firstly, the average field size. Secondly, the biodiversity management practice index score, which is a score out of eight. And thirdly, a percentage figure for biodiversity features on the farming platform for each of the farms. And then with all that information, we developed a biodiversity management plan for each of the 11 farms. Um, and I suppose this phase was called co-creation because each of the farmers themselves played a central role in the development of their farm uh, biodiversity management plan. They identified targets and decided on certain actions and action areas to achieve these targets. And this plan um, was developed to sit within the overall plan for each of their farms. And I guess then, Shane, if we can come to you and look, to take a step back from, I suppose, the, the biodiversity aspect of your farm for the moment, can you give us um, some information about the dairy farm business in terms of, you know, the size of the farm, the size of the dairy herd? Yeah, so we're milking uh, 210 cows here now and the, the overall farm size is 90 hectares. So we have the 210 milking cows here. Um, our maiden heifers would be contract reared and we do keep the, the calves here on the farm. So 
we keep um, 40 calves just for a, a 20% replacement rate. So the stocking rate overall then is, is about 2.4, um, so which is a sustainable stocking rate, I suppose, because at the moment we're growing about 13 and a half ton of, of grass per year. So like the aim is to get to 14, 15 ton um, and stocked at 2.5, then that's um, that matches their stocking rate, which are grass growing. So we're um suppose we're spring spring having um it's I suppose the system is kept as simple as we can. It's focused on grass. It's myself and my dad that are here full time with help from students and, and family help. Um so I suppose our main really aim over the next few years is consolidation. We would have grown the herd from 120 cows in just before quota to 200 now. So we went up by by 20 cows each year. And the plan was if we could um, carry those extra cows without bringing in too much feed from outside um, we'd be self-sufficient that would be sustainable so um, I suppose the production is around 480 kilos of milk sods per cow and the target is now is next to try and get to, to 500 to, to try and mature the, the cow because I suppose in expansion it's a young herd so there's 50% of first and second lactation so I suppose that's the aim is just is consolidation over the next few years. And I guess there's a few key aspects that you've mentioned there, Shane, that are are quite quite sustainable in terms of, you know, you talk about grass production and, you know, you might increase that slightly more, but that would be based on the ability to grow grass. And and also you're looking at expansion means that you're going to have a younger herd. And as you say, you know, there's an extra 20 kilos of milk solids where you can get the mature herd. And and looking then to biodiversity, um, can you give us some examples of biodiversity features um, on your farm, Shane? So we're actually lucky enough, we've, we've a high enough level of biodiversity on the farm. Like um, Aoife would have mentioned the, the figures there, like we'd, we'd have 18 percent um biodiversity levels on the farm going by by that um by Aoife's um study. So it should be high enough like for a for a like I suppose you'd you'd call it an intensive dairy farm, but it's I wouldn't really see it as being an intensive to be honest. But um I suppose it is it's, it's a high number of cows, but we I suppose we have an average field size of, of seven hectares, but we would have a lot of hedgerows in around uh, the external ditches around the external boundary. We'd have some internal hedgerows as well, um, which is important for the for the nesting, the birds and the pollinators, and um, it provides corridors for for movement um, for all them as well. Um, so we have a, we have a lot of them on the farm. We do have water courses as well, which are all fenced off, and we try and keep the fences out a meter and a half um, where possible. Um, we also have a, a deciduous um, a grove of trees as well in, in one corner of the farm as well, um, which have all all native trees in it as well, um, which would be a haven for for wildlife. Um, we do also have a, a low input pasture as well, so there's about um, five acres of that, and we just keep fertilizer and, and pesticide usage to, to the bare minimum. There, it's very little used, and it's, it's very it's, it's it's wetter land anyway, so it's it's very um, it's not it's not very stocked very high, and um, we don't interfere with it too much. Um, and then I suppose even when you look around the farmyard, even as well, we do have. Um, plenty of biodiversity around there as well. We we actually put in a a bee a bee bank. We call it. I suppose it's around a new shed we built. We had a bank around there, and we we put in um, so they're called bee bombs, like sort of for wild they're wildflower seeds. But these actually come in a kind of a bullet form. So the seeds are in the in this kind of a bullet, and they have all the fertilizer fertilizer in with them as well. So it's great because the wildflower seeds actually did. They're better to be thrown onto bad land, I suppose. It's not heavily fertilized. So you throw it onto a bank like a clay like that, 
there's no fertilizer in there, so the the grasses and the weeds won't outcompete uh, the wildflower seeds. So um, they have their fertilizer in their little mix as well. So they they're coming on well, and they're only set there in the in the late summer. And we just made a little bee scrape there as well. Um, just beside that on the south facing bank, just where the solitary mining bees can can burrow into the into the bank. So um, like that's there's a lot of things there. I suppose actually the the biggest one I suppose is unique on our farm is we would have a an area of land um, which the whooper whooper swans come to every every winter. They could say for five five six months even sometimes we'd have we'd have up to seventy or eighty these swans here like on our they're kind of wetter fields again, but they come back every year. They're they're big birds. They're the migratory birds, and like, I think I heard a figure before that eight eight swans could eat the same amount as, as a cow would eat during the winter. So they do. Um, like they are they are big birds, but um, we don't interfere them. They're actually on land away from the yard, so we we leave them to themselves. But um, they're great to see, and they're actually on the they're on the amber um list of of conservation lists. So they're they are kind of of rare enough. They have declined in recent years, so we're lucky to have them on the farm. And then back to you, Aoife, like based on, um, you know, the measurements you've completed, you talk about the percentage of biodiversity on farms. And, you know, Shane has documented the different features of biodiversity and that equates to about 18 percent. You know, have you a target percentage of biodiversity that you would like to see on farms? And also, if you could give us some information about the percentages across the other 10 monitor farms. Okay, so I suppose the target for the monitor farmers was set at 7%. So, and a lot of our farmers are actually already achieving this. Um, Like I said, I mapped all of the farms and then this combined the linear features with the area-based features. And out of that, we got a percentage of biodiversity features on each of the farm platforms. And the average for the group was 8.5%. And this ranged from 4.5% all the way up to Shane's 18%. Um, I suppose the most common features that I encountered were, of course, the linear permanent boundaries, and they are probably common on a lot of dairy farmers, farms across the country. So those would be the likes of the hedgerows, um, stone walls, grass banks and water courses. And then in terms of the area based features, um, we there's farmyards, of course, where actions can be taken to um, help biodiversity and we also came across features like small groves of trees there were some ponds um, forts uh, built habitats like old castles and then um, some of the farms had low input pasture as well and looking to the biodiversity features Shane like you have mentioned an array um, of examples from your farm like the, the fairly standard things that we would all be aware of in terms of hedgerow water courses and then you've also looked at you know features in the farmyard with the bee bank you're looking at low input pasture and and also then I suppose the swans is a fairly unique feature to your farm now I know you've said that um you, you don't see yourselves as farming uh, too intensely but I would say on a technical level you know the stocking rate is quite high um, when we compare you to the national average and also then looking at things like the amount of grass you're growing is is really high at 13 and a half well above average and and a really high level of production at 480 kilos of solids per cow but like you see i guess the first thing would be like is it costing you much to do this biodiversity um on the farm like do you think that there's a major cost to it um or are you you know are you compromising on profit with the with the biodiversity features um 
No, it, it definitely hasn't. I think everything I've mentioned there, um, none of it has cost much money at all, actually, really. Like the, to buy the, the wildflower seeds is probably nearly the, the biggest cost. Um, there's been, yeah, there's been very little, I suppose. And I suppose the main kind of point to get across is that there's a lot of biodiversity on farm that maybe they're not aware of. And I suppose we have to get that message out there that we actually have so much biodiversity and um, flora and fauna on the farms without even be realizing so i suppose a big feature is just to try and maintain what we have and try and improve it a bit if we can um like there's definitely there's, there's no doubt about it that intensive farming can go hand in hand with with helping the environment um like even like it might be necessarily in relation to biodiversity but um as part of the future farm um program we're all embracing um protected urea and low emission story spreading um we incorporate clover into our swards um so all this um, helps to reduce um, chemical fertilizer and we can still um, grow just as much grass and we can um, keep our performance levels up. Um, so I suppose like on our own farm, like going forward, like we, as I said, we'll be maintaining what we have, but we'll be also hoping to, to plant some new hedgerows. Like so I have one planned in a, in a, in a bigger area um, where there's no hedgerow running through the fields, um, which would be about 450 meters long, which would bring our um, average um, average paddock size down to from seven hectares down to six and a half hectares um and it'll create even more I suppose corridors and connections for nature to to roam around um and then i suppose the other one is just for the, the hedgerows is to, is to use the rotational hedge cutting so to cut a third of the farm so to do that every three years um so like the stuff like that they're just they're, they're managing the farm and i suppose maybe people think that when you're looking at the environment you're leaving the farm maybe go a bit wild or whatever, but that's not necessarily the case too. You're, you still, you can cut your hedges um, and keep them trimmed and, and I suppose keep your, keep your margins, just keep your, your fences out a bit from the, the hedgerows, maybe even out a metre, like to know, and if you can a metre and a half and that doesn't cost any money to move to move your fence out. And the low input pasture isn't isn't going to, I suppose, hit our pocket too much. It's 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 wetland anyway, like it's, it's land we can't really use for cows. So we don't see the point, we actually, Trying to grow more grass down there would actually cost us a lot more money. We'd have to put thousands into into draining it all, and it'd still be very wet. So um, for us, just leave it as it is and leave this native flowers growing there um, makes a huge difference, and and that that hasn't cost us anything either. And I think Shane, note that this is a really good example of you know a high level of technical performance and you know a, a relatively high intensity in terms of um, you know dairying but also really, really high levels of biodiversity and, you know, supporting the flora and the fauna and, uh, you know, in, in their natural habitat. And finally, to you, Aoife, um, you know, something that you touched on very early on in our conversation and, and Shane has highlighted it here, you know, you know, there is an awful lot of, of biodiversity on the farms but we're not necessarily aware of it and it's it's about informing ourselves. And, you know, can you give us some advice, you know, the first steps that we can take to, I guess, identify, um, you know, establish the level of biodiversity and, and also to make improvements in terms of what we already have inside the farm gate? Okay, so I suppose... Um... When we start thinking about biodiversity on our farms, it's always good to think about the four principles that surround farmland biodiversity. And those are to retain, maintain, enhance and create and in that order. So by focusing on the retention and maintaining the, the habitats that we have on our farms is a great start to make. So 
um, then having a look at your practices around those um, habitats that already exist on farms. So those are like your hedgerows or your watercourses, your field margins, like I've mentioned already, and making practice changes that are positive in those areas is a great start and working with what we have. So a good way to judge yourself on that is to do a biodiversity management practice index survey. So I carried out that with the 11 farmers. It scores them out of eight on those and four main features, which would be, like I already mentioned, the field margins, the hedgerows, the watercourses, and the average um, field size. And you'll find that it'll highlight what the areas that need your attention in terms of biodiversity management. So um, on our far, on the farms that I'm working with, that score range from one up to eight. Obviously the target there is eight out of eight. So some people have more to do with what they have already and um, other people will have less changes to make or less um, practices to adopt around those areas. But it's a good, a good way to judge yourself at the moment where you stand using the retain and maintain principles and um, using the BMPI to identify those areas that you need to focus on. And then Shane, um, later this week, you're going to open up your farm um, and have an online open day. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I suppose it's just, you know, the, the way the year has gone at the moment, it's all, I suppose, the guidelines, there's, there's, there's not many farm walks happening, I suppose. Um, all our 11 farms should have had farm walks on this year. Um, in physical meetings, but I suppose that's not the case now. So, as you know, it's all gone online now. So, we'll have a webinar on the fourth, on the first of October. Um, so that's going to be, I suppose, it'll be featuring um, Aoife and the, and all the biodiversity on the farm. Um, there'll be a segment as well with um, with Cahill Summers as well, and the the whole ASAP program and water quality. Um, will be mentioned, like I said already, with the low emission slurry spreading and the clover and I suppose all the sustainability measures in relation to the environment. Um, and I suppose then there will be there'll be focus as well on the, the social sustainability as well on on the day. Um, so in relation to to work life balance and it all kind of ties in together. I suppose by keeping the simple system and focusing on grass, um, it allows us maybe to, to focus on on things outside the farm as well and get away from the farm, so we're not um, tied down to it the whole time. Um, so we'll have some filming and videos um, to make over the next week and that'll be all put in together then for the for the virtual farm walk on, on the 1st of October and I suppose then we'll be taking over some of the, the Chagas and the Glambia the social media channels so um, it'll be accessible by anyone who's, who's interested. Looking forward to seeing more on the 1st. Thank you Shane and thank you Aoife. Thanks Emma thank Louise. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast and my thanks to Aoife Leader and Shane Fitzgerald for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify and for more information go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.